0: You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Coop. Today we're going to be talking about influence and your belongings. We have things in our life that God intends for us to share and to use as part of who we are to influence the world around us. If you were at all following the news this past week, you will have seen that Steve Jobs passed away, you talk about a man with influence. Uh, He influenced my life, I'm proof of that this morning. I got an iPad here and I got an iPhone somewhere in my pocket and so he's influenced my life. They had said when he passed away shortly thereafter there was over 6,000 tweets a second about his life. So that's influence for sure. He had things, he had influence and he impacted the world, really left a legacy. Well, we may not have that degree of influence, but we do. We have influence, and we have things, and God's saying, "Uh, you can use that. Uh, You've been entrusted to that. So this morning is about influence and our belongings. It's on a Thanksgiving Sunday, and don't we have a lot to be thankful for? Thanksgiving is really about stopping and thanking God for what he's given to us, and then also saying, how can I take what he's given to us and share it with other people? There's a couple of verses there in your notes if you want to uh, just take out your hand up. We'll go through a couple of verses to get started. Uh, in uh, Psalm 107, verse 1, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. I like the way David starts that with the word, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Why should we give thanks to the Lord? It's right there in the verse. For he is what? God's good. God is a good God. He's good all the time. God is good. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Then it goes on to say, for his mercy endures forever. I'm glad God's a merciful God. In your announcements, you heard that Cheryl and I were just sharing part of our lives and we would not be here if it wasn't for the mercy of God. We're here because God's good and uh, he's been merciful to us. So we say, God, I thank you for what you've done in my life and where I am today. Thanksgiving and we do that. We stop and we thank God for what He's done. First Thessalonians five eighteen it's there in your notes. It says, Thank God, no matter what happens. Sometimes we thank God when everything's nice and the sun is shining and, and we have some money in our pocket and we are feeling good, our health is good and the relationships are good. We can thank God. But this verse says to thank God in every situation to give thanks. Then it goes on to say, this is the way God wants you who belong to Christ to live. So this is not a once-a-year thing to give thanks. It's a lifestyle. It's a life of giving thanks. There's something about the attitude of gratitude that is really contagious. And as believers, we want to live this way, with a heart of thanksgiving. Hebrews chapter 13, 15 says, Therefore, by him let us continually Offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And frankly, sometimes thanks is it's a sacrifice. We don't always feel like thanking God for what's going on in our life, but it's a sacrifice of praise. God, I thank you. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't know why this happened. But no matter what, I'm going to thank you. I'm going to enter your presence with thanksgiving. You know, heaven has a protocol. If You go visit the queen. I've never visited the queen, haven't been invited there. But if you happen to get invited, apparently there is a protocol to follow. When you come into the king or the queen's present, they'll give you a little bit of instruction on in what you should be doing. And, well, there's protocol in heaven when we come into the presence of God. We come before him with thanksgiving. Now, just once a year, every time we come before him, we start with Thanksgiving. That's why the Lord taught us to pray, Our Father which in heaven, hallowed be your name. We, we start with that. It's respectful to thank God for what he's done. When our Canadian Thanksgiving got started, it was by the French. They they came to this land. Actually, even before that, Frobisher had started it because he wanted to get a passage through the northwest he didn't succeed he came back to newfoundland and in the 1500s already we were celebrating thanksgiving day in canada way back in 1578 frobisher landed back in newfoundland and he said i'm so thankful that i survived i didn't get through the passage but i survived and so he had a thanksgiving day then later on the french were there in new france and they had a great harvest they were farmers and they had a great harvest and they had a day of thanksgiving But it wasn't just to stop and say, thanks, God, for the harvest. The second part of it was, we must share it with those who are around us. And so they shared it with the First Nations people, and that became part of Thanksgiving tradition. It was not just to say, God, thanks for what you've done. It was also an attitude where we stopped and said, how can I share what you've done in my life? In the book of James, Pastor James, he was the first pastor of the first church ever in Jerusalem, And Pastor James made this statement. He said, our Father is a giver of gifts. Every gift we have has come from Him. And when we stop and think about that, really, we're stewards. We manage what God's put into our life. As Canadians, when you compare to the rest of the world, we are really privileged and blessed people. And with that comes a responsibility to share what we have. Thanksgiving is really two words in one. Giving is the verb and thanks is the adverb. It describes how we should be giving with a heart of thanksgiving, with a heart of gratitude. Not begrudgingly, not because I have to, but because I'm so grateful for what God's done for me that I want to share with other people. The text we have for this morning is Luke chapter 10. Now this is a story about the Good Samaritan. And most likely, everybody's heard the story of the Good Samaritan. So right about now, you could do one or two things. You could say, Ben, there, done that. I'll just tune out until the pastor's finished reading it, and then I'll get back into it. Or we could say, you know what? I'm going to really listen to see if there's something special in the reading of God's Word. We're a church that believes in reading God's Word. We're a church that believes that you should have it in the notes or on your iPhone, your iPad, or your Blackberry, your Blueberry, whatever you got. Just bring your Bible to church. And so this morning, we're in Luke chapter 10. You can get your Bible out, whatever version you've got. I'm in the New King James Version for this part. I'm going to jump around on the other verses, but we'll read other New King James. Luke chapter 10, the story of the Good Samaritan. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him. Lawyers are good at that. They're good at testing people. Instead of being tested, I'm saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I want us to pause there just for a second and think about that statement. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? If you've ever inherited something, likely you had nothing to do with it. You, somebody else worked for it, and you, they passed it on to you. If your uncle left you some money, well, he earned the money, and he passed it on to you. Or if you inherited a house, somebody else bought it, went to the work of it, you just happened to have a relationship with that person, so they said you get to inherit it. This lawyer stands up and says, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Really, we don't do anything to inherit something from God. It comes to us by grace, Correct? We didn't inherit our salvation because we worked for it. It was already done. And that's the great difference between Christianity and other religions. Every other religion you have to do. Do this, do that, do this, do that, and you'll have good karma, or this will happen and that will happen. But in Christianity, the difference is the word is done. He has done it for us. So this lawyer stands up and says, what do I have to do? And Jesus says to him, well, what's written in the law? What is your reading of it? What's your take on it? And so he said in verse 27, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That's the summation of the law. And Jesus says to him, well, you've answered rightly, do this and you will live. Now, both the lawyer and Jesus knew something on that. They knew no matter how hard you try, you could not 100% of the time Always love God with all your mind, soul, and strength, and always love your neighbor. You just could never fulfill that. And so, what the law did is it pointed us to the need of a Savior. It always pointed toward Jesus. It showed us that on our own we can't do it. So, Jesus came and did it for us that it was done. The fulfillment of the law was in Christ. Then we go on, verse 29. But he, this is the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And, well, who's my neighbor? Okay, I get this. Like, i got to love God, full blast, and I'm supposed to love my neighbor. But here's the tricky part. Who's my neighbor? He wants to justify himself, really saying, I want to love my neighbor. But quite frankly, can we define neighbor here? Like there are some people that I really don't want to love, and I don't want to love them a lot. So well, let's just clarify who the neighbor is. Now, Jesus could have gone into a lengthy discourse and say, who is your neighbor? But he says, well, let me tell you a story. So he gives him... The story of the Good Samaritan. Verse number 30. Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And it really is down. If you've been there from Jerusalem to Jericho, 17 miles, and it drops 3,300 feet. So it's a pretty steep walk down under the hot Palestinian sun, pretty barren land, rugged, easy place for thieves to hide. Now by chance, or verse 30, finish this one up. He fell among thieves, they stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, departed, leaving him half dead. So the guy's pretty beaten up, pretty bloody, clothes are ripped, lying on the side of the road under the hot Palestinian sun. By chance, a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. We would expect the priest to do something, but he doesn't do anything. Likewise, a Levite. It's likely the lawyer is a Levite. He's not like our lawyers. He's a lawyer who makes sure people follow the, the religious rules. A Levite passes by. He comes and looks, and he goes on his way. And then verse 33, Jesus, says, but a certain Samaritan. Now, right about here, Jesus has really got the lawyer's attention because they had nothing to do with Samaritans. They had a big problem with Samaritans. There was ethnic tension between them and the Samaritans, they, they really had no respect for the Samaritans. To use good and to describe a Samaritan, they would have never done that. So that's the culture back then. But Jesus is using a Samaritan as an example. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So when he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine and set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, that's two days' wages, so let's say $250 a day, let's say $500 for easy figuring. He took out $500, gave it to the hotel owner, the innkeeper, and said to him, here, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come, I'll repay you. So Jesus says, which of these three, the priest, the Levite, the Samaritan, do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And the lawyer says, well, he who showed mercy on him. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. The story of the Good Samaritan. We're pretty familiar with it. There's three attitudes in this story that we want to pick out today. Number one, the first attitude is the attitude of the thieves. We don't have the story about the thieves, so we've got to give them a little bit of air time. Not a lot, we'll give them a little bit of air time because they're in the story. But here's their attitude. Their attitude is this, what's yours is mine and I'm going to take it. That's the attitude of the thieves. Now, I know we look around here, and we're a very sanctified bunch, and none of us would ever think that way, but if you read the book of Proverbs and you look into God's thinking a bit, you'll find that if we, for example, have differing measures, it's called. If you treat people that you buy from different than the people you sell from with a different set of standards, God's got a problem with that. If you pull the wool over somebody's eyes, or if you trick them in a business dealing, God's got a problem with that. He would say, you're a thief, you're... He has a a problem with that. So it's easy to look at the thieves and say, yeah, they shouldn't have done that. But God also say, hey, take a look at your life. Are you doing every business dealing with integrity? Because if you're not, you're a taker. If you're thankful, you give. If you're ungrateful, you take. That's just about the way of it. Takers have a sense of entitlement. They say, what's in it for my family? What's in it for the church? Uh, what What can my city do for me? Where a thankful person says, what can I do for my family? What can I do for my church? What can I do for my city? You remember Kennedy who said, don't look for what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Thankful people just naturally do that. Thanks, giving. Giving, again, the verb thanks is the way we do it. It's an attitude. The thieves had an attitude was what's yours is mine, and I'm going to take it. That's not the attitude we want to live with. So let's take a look at the priest. And the Levite, what's their attitude? Their attitude is, what's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. Thank you very much. It's mine, and I'm going to keep it. Reminds me of this little boy, and his, his attitude was something like this. His uncle came to visit him, and uncle gave the little boy an orange. And the mom said, and what do you say, Johnny? And Johnny looked at the orange and looked at his mom and then looked at his uncle and said, peel it. You know, you have to train somebody to be thankful. We don't do it naturally. you got to train to be thankful. Ever watch little kids, and one of the things you have to train them is to share, right? It's like, no, no, you got to share your toys. No, it's mine. It might not even be their toys, but so like, no, it's my. I, we've, we've had that with our kids. Like, all of a sudden, they, they want that truck. No, that's my truck now. And so it's not a natural behavior, but we have to be trained in it. The amazing thing is this, that when we come to God and we accept Christ into our life, the DNA of the father gets into our heart because his spirit comes into our spirit and we pick up his DNA and we start acting like our dad. You know that our dad is an amazing giver for God, the father, so loved the world that he gave. Folks, if we got the DNA of our father, then we love to give and we give with thanksgiving. And it's not giving that, oh, I want to give and there's a string attached to it. There's no strings attached to it. There's no like, okay, it's, I'll give, but here's my 26 conditions. It's interesting that this good Samaritan didn't say to the innkeeper, um, here's $500 to take care of the guy. And, and by the way, do you have a taxable receipt for this? Like, He's not asking for a taxable receipt. He's not saying, and here's the condition. He's just, he's just giving. It's just, he's just helping. And sometimes we'll go to do something. People, The first question we'll get is, well, what about my taxable receipt? And sometimes, honestly, I just like feel like saying, let's get rid of the taxable receipt thing, and let's just give because we want to give. I think there's a place for it. Thank God we can get receipted in our country for our giving, but I don't think that should be the motivation or stop us from giving. We've had people call the church and say, we want to get to so-and-so, and we'd like to help them, but I'd like to run it through the church book so I can get a receipt. And I say, Why don't you just give it to them? You're going to save $20 on your tax. Just, just give it to them. Heart of a giver. Heart of a liberal giver. Really, we're supposed to give hilariously, happy, not grudgingly. What's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. In the episode of, one of the episodes on the, Show the Simpsons. There was a Bart is asked to say grace, and the way he prays kind of reflects a lot of the world today. Here's what he prayed: "Dear God, we paid for all the stuff ourselves, so thanks for nothing." I don't suggest you try that on Thanksgiving Day, <laughs> no matter what your culture is. But it reflects our attitude that. Re- no, everything we have is a gift from God. So God, thank you. What we have, we didn't. We may have wrote a check for it. It may have came out of our visa account or something. But everything we have, the strength we had to go to work, came from our Father. Proverbs 11, 24 and 25 says, There is one who scatters, yet increases more. There is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich. And he who waters will also be watered himself. He who waters. Remember last week we talked about John seven thirty eight that we are a river. We're not a reservoir. We're not a dugout. That out of our heart flows rivers of living water. This verse says those who water will be watered. The Dead Sea in Israel has different rivers that run into it, or at least one river, a couple streams. But nothing flows out of the Dead Sea. It just gets more and more salty as the water evaporates. Nothing's flowing out of it. If a fish flows into it, it dies in that water because it can't support life. And if we continually take in and take in, but there's no outflow, there's no life in us. That's why Evie Hill once said, whatever God can get through you, he can get to you. We're designed to live that way. Our heart's designed to be an outflow Thanksgiving is more than just saying, God, thank you for what I have. Thanksgiving is a response of, hey, what can I do? Who can I help? What can I how can I share what God's given to me? Which brings us on to the next one. I put in there just before we go on, why didn't the priest and the Levite stop and help? And you can fill in the blanks at home if you want and think of some reasons why they didn't. They may have been busy. They may have been indifferent. They may have been prejudiced. They may just didn't want to get involved. Maybe medically they just felt inadequate to help. Maybe they were afraid. A number of reasons why they didn't stop and help. But let's move on to the Samaritan. What was his attitude? His attitude was quite a bit different His attitude was, what's mine is yours, and I'm going to share it. I think that's where we want to end up on a Thanksgiving Sunday. What's mine is yours, and I want to share it, being a steward of it. Carl Menninger, who knew a lot about hospitals, a lot about the mentally challenged, she said this, powerful statement, it's in your notes, giving is a good criterion of mental health. Now watch the last part of the statement. Generous people are rarely mentally ill. And he saw this after years of working in the hospital, that people who would be generous were healthy mentally. But if it's a hoarding mentality, you know the word miserable comes from the root word miser. And if it's about hoarding and keeping and holding on to everything I can get, you end up with a miserable life. I think a life of thanksgiving is going back even to our Canadian heritage, is God has given me a plentiful harvest and I want to share it with those, even if they're not in our tribe, not in my people, I want to share it. Maybe you're getting together for Thanksgiving dinner today or tomorrow and somebody's bringing the turkey and somebody's bringing the pumpkin pie and somebody's bringing the salad and somebody's bringing something else and what are you doing? You're sharing. Thanksgiving and sharing go hand in hand. It's the life of a thankful person is to share. What did the Samaritan have to give? He gave a couple days' wages. He gave his time. Sometimes it's harder to give our time than it is our money. Sometimes we'll be looking for volunteers and say, well, you know, can I just write you a check? Sometimes we have to give our time. Time can be harder to give than it is to give finances. There are days when Frank, who coordinates the volunteer team, will say, you know what, could you give some time to this? You have to really stop away. Okay, that means I have to change my schedule. This guy was busy. He was on his way. He, was, he must have been doing business. He had a mode of transportation. He had money. He had a, he had a medical kit. And he must have been a business guy, but he, he stopped. I don't think he could text anybody and say, hey, by the way, I'm going to be late. I'm going to be helping out this guy. I'm going to be here. He, but he, he changed his agenda. Thankful people. What can I do to help? Uh, safety, he gave up his safety, he gave up medical supplies, risked his reputation, his comfort. Somebody else had the donkey ride to the hotel. He, his credit at the hotel He's a giver. Hebrews chapter 13, 16 says, don't forget to do good. We could forget to do that. Could Canadians get complacent? Could we get apathetic? Could we get lethargic? Could we, Could we fall asleep on what God's given to us? Could we get so accustomed to it that we forget what we have and we don't even see the needs around us? Could that happen to people who attend Coastal Church? I think so. It could happen to us. And this verse says, don't forget. Don't forget to do good and to share what you have with those in need. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. The greatest life is the life of a giver. Let it flow through you to others around When we worked in Tennessee, I shared a little bit about Brother Littlefield in the past. He was the pastor we worked with there when we were at school. And um, he was a great example of somebody who had things just flow through his life. One reason was people trusted him and knew he wasn't going to keep it. He'd just find another person to give it to. Well, he drove a K car. Remember the Chrysler K car? It It wasn't the best automobile. It's kind of like on the bottom rung of automobiles. And before that, he had a VW Beetle. I think he downgraded when he got the K-Car. He was kind of sorry he got rid of his Beetle. But anyhow, he was driving a K-Car. And then one day, this lady shows up, and, or this doctor shows up and said, I have a Cadillac that I'm not using. It's pretty new, and I'd like to give it to you, Brother Littlefield. And he was so happy. He says, you know what? All the preachers were driving Cadillacs back then, and I, I finally arrived. After years of years of working in the ministry, I finally got a Cadillac. He said, Wow. I there, I got a Cadillac. And he had a Cadillac for a couple days. This lady came into the church, and she was a single mom, and uh, she was trying to support her, her family. And she had done a real estate course, and she said, Brother Littlefield, would you pray for me? I've got an automobile, but it's not very good. I'm trying to sell real estate, and I'm embarrassed to even put the clients in my car and show them these nice properties. Would you pray for me that I could kind of have a better tool than what I've got? And Brother Littlefield said, I don't have to pray for you. Come all back. I got a car for you. Now, what car do you think he gave her, the K-Car or the Cadillac? He gave her the Cadillac. But this was his lifestyle. He was known to give things away. His wife had a problem with him because he'd also often give away her shoes without asking him. (laughs) Now, guys, there's just certain things you don't touch. One would be your wife's shoes. That's right next to diamond rings. Shoes and diamond rings are in the same category. So you got... You really would have to ask before you. It's like giving away a diamond ring, giving away your wife's shoes. But he he got in trouble. There were some days that Mrs. Littlefield wasn't as happy as Brother Littlefield. <laughs> I kid you not. We experienced this firsthand because we were coming back to Canada and we needed some winter tires on our car. We said, Brother Littlefield, we don't have much money, but we need some winter tires to drive back to Canada. He says, Ah, oh, no worries. I I got a set for you. So we went out and out of this barn, there was these tires up on the this. Uh, ledge up there. He says, Dave, you're tall. Reach up and grab those. Those will fit your car. We, I got them, put them on. They fit perfect. Great winter tires. We came back, and, and we said hi to Mrs. Littlefield, and she just kind of snarled at us. I said to Cheryl, what what did we do? Honestly, what have we done? And we said, Brother Littlefield, a couple of weeks later, I said, what's going on? Like, your wife is really kind of being rude to us. He said, well, that's because I gave you her tires. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> She went to get her tires and she said, We're they? She said, well, I gave them to the coops and needed tires. So. so it's just kind of good to check if you're giving something away that's not yours. It's best to give away your stuff, not somebody else's. So, what caused the Good Samaritan to share? Very simply, compassion caused him to share. That's what motivated him to share. And it was based on a need. He saw a need. Remember the series on courage? We're courageous because there's a cause or a need. This man was courageous because he saw a need and he responded to it. It courage or compassion does something. It doesn't just sit there and watch. It steps up and does something. It's easy to say, yeah, you go for it. I'll stand and watch if it works. You know, then I'm going to come along later. Compassion says, no, I must do something. And compassion will cost you you got to put skin in the game, so to speak, if you want to be living a life of thanksgiving, because it will cost you something. It costs a good Samaritan to get involved. But it also revealed that he had a relationship with God, because it demonstrates that we love our neighbor. We love God. We love our neighbor. You can write this verse in the notes, 1 John three seventeen. but if anyone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need and refuses to help, doesn't get involved, John the great love disciple says, "Ask us a question, how can God's love be in that person? You saw the need and you didn't respond. One of the greatest examples of a good Samaritan that I know is our good friend, brother, Bill Strickland. Bill in Pittsburgh built a center to help the people that were beat up on the side of the road, mostly young people and people that lost their jobs and built a center to help with that. And we're going to, Also build one here in Vancouver as a church. We said, hey, let's get involved and help this. It won't be under our church umbrella. We're not looking for one more person in the pew. We're not looking for more things to do. But we're saying, what can we do to help our city? We've talked about the past and it's really hard for me to explain the depth and what's all involved with it. So I thought I'd show you this morning just a little clip from Pittsburgh and Bill explaining and some of the kids explaining the difference it made he really has been a good Samaritan there in other centers, and then we're going to wrap up this morning.
1: Pray every day that I wake up the next day, because the things people do nowadays is just crazy. That's all I really wish for. That's one of my biggest dreams, is to stay alive. It's hard to imagine yourself in a life situation that is enhancing if nothing around you suggests that is a possibility. It's very difficult to have dreams when you're in a community that doesn't have dreams. A lot of crime, a lot of poverty, a lot of human suffering, and not much hope. Manchester is different from any other part of the city. A land apart, a small enclave. That was a blank, like many kids. Just a fog. You know you were alive, you knew something was gonna happen, but you didn't know what, and you didn't know how. They say, like, when Bill Strickland was in high school, he had a teacher, and then his teacher explains ceramics to him in a way that made like other things in his life make sense. It was that experience that transformed my educational life dramatically, because I had a reason to learn. The riots were happening, and people were getting shot in my neighborhood by the police, and so there's a lot of death and. Self-destruction going on. A lot of public violence. So it was in the midst of that that I started my pottery program to try to provide some kind of an alternative to that thought process. The kids started showing up, and a lot of the kids really liked the place, and they started coming back. And then, like, it developed, and then he got a grant, and then he built this place. Most people thought that I was crazy that my view of the world was to train kids in the arts and somehow that would translate into a better life no one assumed that the arts would have anything to contribute to making life better in the community hi fred hey elsie you haven't met bill this Hello,
0: is bill, bill strickland bill this is fred Glad to meet is.
1: you. my pleasure the point is that you don't have to go somewhere to be a part of the world you can bring the world to where you live I knew that, or in sense that, if you could create a beautiful space, it would ultimately create beautiful people. The home life of some of our students are um, very uh, traumatizing events on, on, on occasion. People are a function of the environment where you find them. You build prisons, people act like prisoners. You build beautiful centers like this, you get beautiful people.
0: You build prisoners, prisons, you get prisoners. You build beautiful centers, you get beautiful people. We live in a world that's being more and more polarized. In Vancouver, I don't know if you watch the demographics, the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer. There used to be programs that were run in our schools for the disadvantaged, but they've been disappearing. These centers, now 18 of them in North America, that are either up or running or in feasibility study. And presently we're in a feasibility study here in Vancouver. We're about a quarter of the way done. And uh, as a church, we're saying, let's, let's help make this happen. It's outside of our four walls. It's out of the feasibility study. We'll come aboard, and there will come those in the community. But I'm so tired of the church being Johnny-come lately. I'd I love to see leaders involved with this, our leaders involved with us people, our people helping to make it happen in the heart of our city. And so it is happening. And we would love for you to pray about it and, and say, hey, God, what could we do here? Even just pray. October 18th at the Vancouver Club, we have a fundraising event to complete the feasibility study. It might be something you'd want to be a part of. And as the leaders of the community come together and say, let's do this in Vancouver. Let's duplicate what's happening in other places. Jeremiah 29, the people are taken from Jerusalem into Babylon. And in that city, Jesus or Father, God says to them, I would like you to... Pray for the peace and the welfare of that city. They didn't want to pray for the peace and welfare of their city. They wanted to go back to Jerusalem. They wanted to get in the huddle and therefore no more. And let's just stay in this little huddle. And God would say, no, I want you to care about the city that you live in. I want you to plant gardens. I want you to do something for that city prospers. You will prosper. I want you to be involved in the city. When Bill came up another time, I brought in a number of Christian leaders together and really said, you know, this is our opportunity, and we've invited other people in the community to come, and we have different people from Vancouver. Some of the council members will be from the city, and some of the school board will be there. People that help make a, school, a vocational center like this possible. And we brought these leaders together, and one of them asked Bill a question. They said, Bill, how do you preach Christ at your center? And he said, uh, this is not a church. This is a vocational center. Uh, Dave's a pastor, and he does the preaching at his church. I build vocational centers, but as far as I can tell, I'm doing what Jesus asked me to do, and that is to help the poor, and so it's a vocational center, and uh, it's coming to our city, and uh, we're just helping be the catalyst, the spark plug to make it happen. You can go to VancouverCat.com and find out more about it, or if you'd like to be a part of it, you can pick up a ticket if you want to be a part of it. There's only so many, but we said, hey. Let our church know about it because we're involved with it. We're helping spearhead make it happen, and if you want to be a part of it, you can. Good Samaritan, how do we do it? We could give many examples this morning, but corporately and individually, God's calling us to a life of thanksgiving, thanking Him for what He's done, but also sharing what we have, our influence, our wealth, everything we have with the world around us. Church, let's not just be a reservoir. Let's be a river of living water that flows out into our families, into our communities. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org.